You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, or you can check us out in audio format wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Good morning and welcome to Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. We're excited to continue in our series about uh, Abraham that we're calling Genesis Part 2. This is actually, uh, I think, the is it the fifth lesson or sixth lesson? I can't uh, remember I didn't which write one down. Yeah. So we got uh, two more to go this week and next week, and then we'll take a break for the holiday season. Okay, apparently it's four, our production team is telling us. Um, so uh, we're, we're excited to uh, march forward and continue in this series. Today we're going to be reading through Genesis 21 through 23. So if you want to grab your Bibles and you can follow along with us as we read through that, I welcome you to do that. Um, for those of you who are with us the first time, welcome. This is a series that we've been doing um, on Genesis Part 2 for several weeks, as we said. You can go find that uh, on our YouTube or our Facebook page. Just search for King of Kings uh, St. Louis and you can find that. And if you, uh, you want to look, uh, find it in audio format, you can also find that by looking for Coffee and Clergy, uh, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, with that, maybe let's go ahead and open with a prayer, okay. and we'll dig into God's Word this morning. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us today and your Word, which guides us each and every day. Send your Holy Spirit that we might be enlightened by your Word to know the promises that you make are true and that you fulfill them uh, in a mighty and powerful ways as you have done for your servant Abraham. We pray that you do it also for us. Uh, we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we might uh, uh, turn to you in our hour of need, and we might trust in your promise and your plan. I, I pray that you would be with each person who's gathered with us today, that you would guide and protect them, that you would keep their heart focused on your word, and that they would be transformed in the image of Christ Jesus, their Savior and our Lord. We pray all this in his holy and precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Yeah, we are uh, uh, in the middle of Abraham's life. There's, uh, he is uh, uh, going to have a son that we're going to read about starting in chapter 21. Mm-hmm. And um, in fact, uh, then God is going to ask him for one of the greatest sacrifices that could ever be asked of someone. Mm. Um, an unusual sacrifice where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son. Yeah. And, um, and so maybe just as an introduction, um, you know, as you think about your life and your relationship with the Lord and your life and involvement in the church, um, uh, what, what has God asked of you in your involvement of the church? Uh, you can think in terms of time, talents, and treasures. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we just went through our stewardship series and we always uh, ask people to think about, pray about what they'd like to give to the church. Yeah. Uh, a time to think about the gifts that God has given us and how we can return a portion of those gifts. Yeah, and you said it this way, like what, what we would consider giving. But in reality, when we read this section on Abraham, it's more, it's more aligned with what God is calling us as his people to give. And so that's always the challenge is finding the balance between what we're kind of comfortable giving. Because if we're frank with ourselves, we'd like to keep everything that we have, right, uh-huh. in our sinful nature. And, and what God is actually calling us to give, which causes us to stretch a little bit, to expand our, our giving and to uh, sort of give till it's a little less comfortable. Yeah. And so here we find, again, uh, Abraham, who sometimes has been muddling through life and uh, who sometimes says that his wife is his sister so that his life won't be in danger, um, now is willing to make one of the greatest sacrifices that we hear about in scripture. And uh, in fact, he is standing over his son with a knife when God says, Abraham, I want you to put down the knife. And uh, it's kind of an uh, amazing story that we hear. 
Uh, and at that point, it seems like uh, Abraham's faith is incredible, almost unbelievable, uh, as he looks to God and trusts in God. Um, but that's where we find him. But let's, let's go ahead and begin with uh, hearing about the birth of his son um, as we open up in chapter 21. Yeah, so I'll read just the, the um, first 21 uh, verses of chapter 21. Um, so we'll begin at the beginning with the birth of Isaac. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? The child grew and was weaned, and on the day that Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking and said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, and because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulder shoulders and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up, and he lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Okay. And so we read about this account of Isaac's birth and then tension in the family. And, um, but all the while, Abraham was still trusting in God. And so uh, what does this tell us about Abraham as, as God fulfills, or maybe we should ask, what does this say about God as he fulfills his promise in the life of Abraham? Well, it certainly shows his faithfulness that even though God's plan doesn't go through um, Ishmael, and even though he was uh, a result of sort of a sinful decision made by Abraham and Sarah uh, to try and kind of circumvent God's plan, that God still, for the sake of the faith that Abraham had, made him into something great as well. Yeah. Um, so it shows that, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's one of those definitions of how God uses something that men intended for evil and turns it into something good. Yeah. And, you know, there's, uh, we say it all the time that God does things in his own way. And this is one of those times where he does something in his own way. And um, it always amazes us. And it, it can amaze us in different ways. But um, one of the things that, that God asks of us is simply to trust him as he works out his plans. Yeah. And sometimes that's, that's more easily done and sometimes it, it seems more, more difficult. But, um, I mean, that's really the definition of faith, right? The word mm -hmm. for faith is simply the word for trust. So when you, when you talk about what faith you have in God, what it really means is trusting that his plan will play out uh, the way he promised it would. Yeah. And so what's important about the fact that uh, this son was born to Abraham in his own age, in his old age? I think that, 
Oh, you're talking about Isaac here. Now, Isaac. He was born uh, in the old age. I think it it's, it kind of shows an element of preciousness, right? That this is the the one hope that they kind of have, right? The one fulfillment of the plan. They probably were had already reached a place in their life where they were resigned to the fact that they wouldn't have children. And then all of a sudden, out of seemingly nowhere, mm -hmm. this miracle happens in, in old age. So um, there's perhaps more wisdom, more patience, more faith, uh, certainly a greater... Uh, sort of feeling of preciousness and um and uh you know treasuring this child than even even parents who have children young treasure their children but but parents who in a thousand years would have never thought they would have a child but have one would even see that child as more precious think about yeah. people who have fertility issues today you know they they're when they're able to finally have that child it's the, that child is the center of everything in their whole life. You know, they just do everything they can for that child. So, yeah. Yeah. so God does things in his own way and he does things in his own time. Mm -hmm. And we also find that he has an unusual name given to him, the name Isaac. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about before that uh, that name means he laughs. Mm -hmm. And we, we think back to when God first visited Abraham and Sarah and uh, shared with them that they would have a child and Sarah laughed. Mm -hmm. And and uh, now we find that when Sarah uh, has this child, this child is born, uh, I like the way that she said, and now other people can laugh with me. Mm -hmm. um, they're not laughing at her because she didn't believe, but they're laughing with her because of what God has done in and through her. I mean, think about if the same situation happened today. If there was a 100-year-old man and a 100-year-old woman who had a baby, that would be comedic in some sense uh -huh. you know it'd be like you, you on what, the one what hand, are you doing say, god yeah. yeah on the one hand you'd say like good for you guys but like right. really <laughs> you know are you going to be changing your husband and wife's diaper while you're changing the kid's <laughs> diaper too it's just you know it's uh one of those things where there's some c comedy to the situation and uh even even sarah acknowledges the the uh joy and the and the almost ridiculousness of the yeah. situation but yet god has fulfilled his promise yeah. And um, then we go on and, and see that, uh, uh, I guess we go on in the lesson. And yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I can keep reading there at 22 if you want me to, to the end of the chapter. You want me to read to the yeah, end? Why don't you do okay. that part? Yeah, sorry. Okay. So this is a treaty that Abraham makes at Beersheba. <clears throat> it says, at the time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien uh, the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You... Uh, did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. And so Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. And so... Uh, um, uh, we see some things, some interactions going on. We recognize that uh, Abraham is, is talking to and discussing things with the people that live in the land. Uh, later on in chapter 23, we'll find that Abraham has some additional um, uh, dealings with those in the land as he buys a cave mm -hmm. where Sarah is going to be buried into. And so is there anything that we can learn about his relationships with the people that live there in Canaan? He maintains a, a respectful distance, <laughs> as maybe a way you could put it, um, where he sort of 
uh, wants to get along with his neighbors and not war with them, not be you know enmeshed with conflict with them. But he definitely also is set apart from them, and he knows that, and he feels God's calling to be apart from them in terms of their sort of ideologies, their systems of kingly governments and warring tribes type stuff, and certainly their paganism. Uh, and so that that's the covenant promise of circumcision that Abraham has that he passes on to the generations that follow him. But he also acknowledges that he has to like get along with these guys and has to he's living in the land where they sort of are also a nomadic tribe that's kind of going from well to well and you know oasis to oasis and fertile ground for herds and things like that and he doesn't want to you know rub anyone you know ruffle their feathers or anything like that he wants to get along but also he acknowledges there's something which is sort of set apart about him we we kind of talk about the same thing as we talk about the commandments that uh, god wants us to uh, love and honor our neighbors Mm -hmm. Uh, abraham seems to do this thing he wants to to honor them and as you said not ruffle their feathers but how can we how can we live in this land knowing at the same time that god has called Abraham to this land and was giving the land to him. It also brings to mind Jesus' calling for his people to be salt and light. I think that's the next question here is, um, how does this suggest, what does it suggest about our relationship to others who are not God's people? His command, Jesus', to be salt and light in the world means to be um, in the world different for the world's benefit. So uh, a light in the darkness is not like the darkness, but yet it illumines the truth and the reality of the world around. Salt in food is not the same thing as the food that it's salting, but it gives it greater flavor, it preserves it, it gives it uh, extra blessing and material uh, wealth, you know, things, prestige, things like that. Um, and so that's what Jesus is kind of calling us to be is in, in this world, to be like light in, a dark, dark, in the dark or salt in, in food where we, we liven the world, we make it a better place, we challenge the wickedness within it and try and preserve uh, a sense of uh, moral duty to God through the law um, and things like that. So kind of reminds me when we talked about uh, uh, when we talked about the two spheres that God is ruler over, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the purposes of the church is um, to recognize again we're we're separate from the world, and yet there are times we need to speak to the world. Uh, we're in the same way that we're respectful to those who are in authority over us, uh, we honor them uh, on the one hand, and yet uh, if they begin to disobey God and go down a path that um, uh, is contrary to God's will, uh, we also speak out and and point it out and say, uh, you know, that's not God's desire. Not by, you know, taking up the sword or, or anything like that, but through simply expressing and utilizing our um, proper avenues uh, to to speak out and make our, our will and God's will known in the world. Okay, and that sometimes is, there's a balance that goes with that, uh, sometimes easier said than done. Yeah. Um, uh, it's easy to uh, to cross over and begin. We want, some people want to take things into their own hands, um, but God doesn't call us to do that. Uh, he calls us to continue to trust in him. Mm-hmm. Um, even if there's an evil ruler, yeah. um, God calls us to pray for them and, um, and to continue to point out and uh, uh, lift up what his will, what his will is as we live it and encourage others to live it as well. Yeah, and I mean, we could talk about this at length, and actually we have. Yeah. So if you're interested in a deeper discussion and dive into that, we did a series about a year or two years ago on what's called dual citizenship. It's on the idea of the two realms. And so um, it's a good discussion for this uh, uh, particular context with Abraham, but it's also good for just in general, the times that we live in. And so it might be worth taking a look at if you're interested in that topic. But it's interesting how that applies. We can look way back into the early parts of the Old Testament and God has the same desire for his people uh, as he does today. And, and so that brings us to, uh, to chapter 22. Sure. And uh, again here, uh, Abraham is tested. Mm-hmm. And um, if you want, we can divide that chapter up. Uh, or that... It's not too long. I'll, just, I'll read because we have chapter 23 to do later too. So I'll, okay. I'll read this section and 
Unless there's a part you want to divide here. I was going to, if you want to read the first 12 verses and then... Okay, let's do that then. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took him... Uh, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with my donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went went on together, uh, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? A- Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now keep going. Uh, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. And we'll stop there for a moment. And um, so, um, you know, we we think about this passage, and and we can also kind of parallel it with a passage in the New Testament, John three sixteen, and where we hear um, uh, about the love that one has for another. And so um, as we look at these, um, this part of Scripture and think about John 3.16, 3, how do these two passages speak about uh, the love that one person has for another? Uh, well, God's love is so amazing that uh, as much as he loves his son, he um, offered him up because he loved the world as well as his own sons and daughters. And... Um, People often kind of look at this passage in Genesis and they don't get it. Um, and frankly, it's, it's a struggle to understand. I mean, how could God call on a man to, like, kill his son? Sacrifice his son, yeah. Or, frankly, to kill anybody, right? I mean, if even if he said, go capture some hopeless child and sacrifice him on the altar, like, that's terrible, too. It's even worse that it's his son because it's asking him to, you know, they don't even think they have a word for that. When you kill your brother, it's called fratricide, but I don't know what you would call it killing your own child. I mean, that's such a foreign concept, even in the most pagan of cultures, that no one would do something like that. But Abraham does it, and we we don't get a lot of painting of the picture of like what's going on in the minds of Abraham and the minds of Isaac, but we know that they're human beings, and so we can kind of put ourselves in his shoes a little bit and say, he must have had some doubts, but he also must have had some really profound faith that God would take care of the situation too. Because he's asked twice, um, or he presents twice the understanding that 
he's not going to actually have to sacrifice his son. He gets all the way to the point where he's prepared to do it, but he knows that God's going to come through. First, he promises his servant that he and the boy will be back, even though he knows what he's about to go do. He also says to his son that God will provide the lamb. He doesn't say God will, God will provide the sacrifice. He says he'll provide the lamb, um, knowing that there's going to be some intervention by God and trusting that God would not um, allow his promise to be broken uh, to provide a nation through um, his son Isaac. And so that's really what I see here is not, not some uh, horrible thing that God is trying to get uh, Abraham to do, but rather that God is trying to show uh, exactly who the most important figure is for him. When you bring Jesus into the equation, then you also see God is putting on uh, Abraham's heart the same dilemma that he himself has for the salvation of the world. So he says, I want to see what you do when the world and its brokenness demands your son, Abraham. And, uh, so John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Uh, that's sort of that language there. It says several times, your one and only son, Abraham, uh, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so um, through, through Jesus and God's willingness to sacrifice his own son, the world was redeemed. But he wanted to put his, uh, his, one of his greatest servants and most faithful followers, Abraham, into a position where he had to contend with the same struggle of fatherhood, being willing to give up the the blessing of your of your life, you know the the greatest thing you possess, your son, um, for the thing which is even greater, which is your God. Yeah. And uh, I think of the uh, there's a New Testament passage where it talks about the heroes of the faith, and it talks about. Uh, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son. And uh, I'm, I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 11. It says, uh, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And he who received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham reasoned that God could raise him from the dead, and then he goes on to say, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back from the dead. And so um, I don't know if that gives us an insight into uh, what Abraham was thinking, that even if I sacrifice my son, I believe that God can raise him from the dead mm-hmm. um, and give him back to me. Uh, but that, that took a tremendous amount of faith to, yeah. to believe that God would be, that God could do that. Um, and, um, but we talk about that and the, and the faith and love that, that Abraham has for God, um, uh, are both exceptional. And then we also recognize, um, God's love for his son. And, and that's again, one of those amazing concepts of love. Uh, we can only imagine how close God the Father is with his Son and the Holy Spirit, and yet he was willing to sacrifice his Son for uh, sinful human beings um, so that we could live with God in eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, again, uh, these concepts of faith and love go, go hand in hand. And, um, and so, again, God uh, gives his, the gift of his Son um, uh, to remind us of the love that he has for us and um, uh, what we find here is uh, also a picture of Abraham's character um, that makes his obedience. Um, we also, I guess, have talked about his, his character in the past that makes um, his obedience, uh, you know, uh, is he going to do the right thing? Is he not going to do the right thing? Uh, there were times where he, um, again, it was almost like he was willing to give up his wife. Here, she's my sister. Yeah. Um, um, but he, he seems to have a completely different heart. At yeah, for, this time. for people who are sort of fans of story structure, you have character development here, right? Yeah. You have repeated incidents of, of Abraham doubting God's ability to follow through on his promise. And then God gives him one final pretty profound test, right? To yeah. say like, you know, this all chips are on the table here, Abraham. What are you going to do? And this time 
even though it sounds terrible, Abraham follows through. He uh, is willing to sacrifice his son because he knows that he has doubted God before and, and it always turns out bad when you doubt God. He's trusted God before and it always turns out good when you trust God. So he's like, I'm, I'm at this difficult sta stage right here. I'm about to do something I really don't want to do, but I, I've, I've not trusted God before and things have gone bad. So I am going to commit to trusting in God, not knowing what his plan is, but trusting in, in it. Yeah. And um, it's, and it's, you know, we look at our own life and, and ask about what God has, what God asks us to do as we live out our life. Yeah. And um, uh, sometimes loving our neighbor isn't an easy thing, um, uh, especially if there's been tension um, between us and our neighbor mm -hmm. and hardship and, and, and yet God asks us to, uh, to show people incredible love and forgiveness. Uh, even though they might not show that same love back to us. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, that's always a challenge in life. Um, <clears throat> and so earlier in Genesis, we, we read of Abraham's shortcoming. Um, and so again, um, we, on the one hand, we can see Abraham's faith develop. And on the other hand, uh, uh, we look at Abraham sometimes and just think, wow, what amazing faith he has, mm -hmm. um, and it surprises us. And so now if we take a moment, let's, um, let's put ourselves in Abraham's place and then also in Isaac's place, and what would have been the thoughts or feelings, uh, thoughts that have gone through your mind, feelings that you might have had um, as you were each of these characters um, as we step into their sandals, if you will. Yeah, well, we talked a little bit about Abraham's mentality already, but I just imagine Isaac's mentality when all, when all of a sudden he realizes, oh no, like there's no sacrifice. <laughs> I don't think he's just like kind of absent-mindedly asking, "Where's the ram?" I think he's like, um, you know, in the past, you know, yeah. we've always had a lamb or something yeah. that we sacrificed. He, and... I think he's kind of like he can sense maybe he can sense his dad is a little uneasy and something's off. You know, he can sense that there's some some peril because he he told the the servants to stay behind. Uh, then he starts getting tied up, and it's like this is bad. Something, something mm -hmm. bad's going on. So it kind of makes you wonder if there's the, the Bible doesn't mention if there's a fight or a tussle or anything. I think Isaac mm -hmm. trusts his dad the yeah. same way you know had, has faith in God and his and his father uh, Abraham as much as you know his as, as Abraham has trust and faith in God. So uh, we don't know the mentality, but I guarantee it wasn't just like yes, Father, whatever yeah. you say. Yeah. I'll, you know, do what you want. His his heart was probably beating pretty rapid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, and I don't know, the, again, Scripture doesn't say, but I, I imagine in my own mind that, you know, where Scripture talks about um, a lamb uh, is silent before it shears. Yep. Uh, I imagine, you know, Isaac was there preparing the altar, getting helping his father get everything ready. And then all of a sudden his father bound his his son's hands, yep. and um, there was probably a moment of question, like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And um, and again, we don't have any di dialogue. Um, if Isaac asked his father a question, you know, what are you doing? Um, if he fought to get off the, uh, the altar that was made, yeah. um, and it, it just, it seems, scripture just tells it very matter-of-factly, that he bound his son, he laid him on the altar, he picked up the knife, he was going to follow through. Yeah. And then God said, okay, we're going to stop right there. And, and I think this also sort of contextually puts it in in an interesting place where God does not require, he's, he's never required a human sacrifice other than one time. That's with yeah, his son. With his own Whereas son. In, in the context, when we talk about Abimelech and we talk about the Egyptian you know, peoples that... that he interacts with and the people from the Babylonian empires and the Assyrians and stuff all around him. These, these are, these are religions and places where human sacrifice is routine. Mm -hmm. Maybe not like the killing of one's own son, but they had, you know, uh, temple virgins that they would sacrifice to appease the gods when there was a drought or, I mean, they had different rituals that all, all entailed blood sacrifices and, and, and sac human sacrifice as well. And, and, uh, 
the, the kind of atoning sacrifice system of Israel is one where we take the creation through animals and we, uh, we pay atone, an atoning sacrifice uh, to God uh, through that sacrifice of the Old, the Old Testament ceremonial law. But the, this had a, an opportunity here to turn dark, right? And to say this sacri- human sacrifice would have been the one that would have made Abraham and his descendants the exact same as all the other peoples that just did that routinely. But here God shows, no, I don't demand human sacrifice. What I, what I require is the sacrifice of your life through giving up what you want and being faith and having faith in me. And then I, I am the one who sacrifices myself to pay for the sins instead. And that's where Jesus enters the picture. Yeah. And so we see this, this faith of both Abraham and Isaac, um, yep. would you call it a supernatural faith? I would call it, no, I would not. I would call it a faith that any one of us could have. So I don't think that's supernatural, other than to say faith itself for all mankind. That's, that's, that's where I was coming from. Um, so it's a gift from the Holy Spirit, certainly. It comes to us through our baptism, which is definitely a miraculous, supernatural event. But, but I think one of the things we have to be careful about saying is that there was something about Isaac that was yeah. unique or special that, that we don't have yeah. um, within and, us as a human. Uh, I guess I was thinking of it maybe from a little different perspective. I, I guess I think there may be times in life where God gives us, uh, strengthens our faith for the moment. Yes. Um, uh, there's something special we're gonna go through. There's some difficult time that we're gonna go through. Um, does God give us, uh, 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 does God strengthen our faith so that we can make it through that moment, that time yep. um, with a trust in him? And sometimes we even might look back on our life and say, how did I get through that? And we recognize that God was there helping us, helping yep. us through. Uh, definitely. But I think also, too, uh, you look at the Hebrews passage and you ask, why, why was the author of uh, Hebrews alluding to the faith that was credited to Abraham as righteousness. And I think one of the reasons he's doing that is showing us that everyone else who is reading the book and knows the, the ancient Israelite, you know, the Hebrew text, to, sh- to say, like, Abraham was the best of us, but there's nothing unique in him that God doesn't also bless us with. He blesses us with the same faith that Abraham has. We can be the same amount of righteousness as him uh, through our faith, not through our actions or our deeds, but through the faith which we have in in him. But it's uh, it's just kind of showing the that Abraham is is certainly blessed by God, but he is he is man, and his his righteousness doesn't come from his own actions. It doesn't come from anything that makes him different or better than any of the rest of us. It's just through his faith. Yeah, yeah. He trusted and, in God. Yeah, and yet there there are times where God gives us that extra faith that we need to get it through to get through difficult times. To uh, He does that with Abraham, and I think He does that with us as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, that's the that's that's sort of the the tying together narratively of all the rest of this the the people that we read about in the Bible. That's what ties it all together. Is that that uh, extra blessing of faith that God gives that allows them to overcome difficult moments or hard circumstances. You look at David, you look at Daniel, you look at Jesus. I mean, that's the tie that binds is that, that faith from God. Yeah. Yeah. So as we look at these relationships, anything else that you want to say um, in connection with um, God's relationship to Abraham or Abraham's relationship to God or Abraham's relationship to Isaac or Isaac's relationship to Abraham? Uh, all of these relationships are, um, are amazing and beautiful, mm-hmm. um, and and they're complicated at the same time as we uh, hear how God was at work in the lives of His people. I guess the one thing that's going through my mind is we're reading about all this, all these relationships in a few chapters over the course of a few hours, but these are these are relationships which span lifetimes, and so mm-hmm. to me that's the thing about about faith that separates real faith from kind of the storybook version of it where Abraham's faith is rooted in a lifetime of trusting in God and seeing the results of his faith and the results of his lack of faith. Right? Yeah, even when he's messed up, 
numerous yeah. times. And yeah. so I think it's the same thing here. When you want to talk about the relationship of Isaac and Abraham, you could look at an event like what we just read in chapter 22 and be like, must not have been very good, right? If uh, I don't imagine Isaac was too excited to go run over and give dad a hug for the next yeah. couple little while. But I think when you look at when you look at these events spread out over the course of an entire lifetime and you see the the rhythms of faithfulness and worship that they would have been involved in uh, over the course of that life. Day in and day out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then you see that that relationship is really and truly strengthened between all of these people. I, Abraham, Isaac, God, there's there's a continuance or sort of a flow of of continual faithfulness that just goes throughout all of their lives. And then it goes from Isaac to Jacob and Jacob to his sons and his sons to the people of Israel and yeah. that that sort of continuation of faith is at the heart and soul of what what that people group is. Yeah. I had kind of three words that were running through my mind as I thought about these relationships. I thought of of faith and then I thought of love and then I also thought of obedience. Mm -hmm. And our the faith that we have in God always leads us to love him and to be obedient to him. Yep. And um um, and it, in, in the same way that, you know, children also uh, love their parents, trust their parents, want to obey them. Um, um, uh, these three things just run um, through all of these relationships. Um, um, and it runs in, in our relationships uh, today mm -hmm. as, we, as we trust in God, as we um, love him and look to him and, and, and want to follow his, his will. Absolutely, does. And uh, so that brings us on to, to, to chapter 23, and we find here the, the death of, of Sarah. Mm -hmm. And um, so we, should we read through that? Yeah. Um, I believe it's my turn to read. There was a little section at the end of chapter 22, but it's just a list of the sons of Nahor, who is uh, the brother to Abraham, just to fill in some blanks on people groups. But... We'll move forward to 23 where the narrative picks up again. Uh, Sarah lived to be 100 year, uh, 127 years old when she died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. When Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site so here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede uh, with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So, he will sell me the cave of Mechpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the heart in the hearing of uh, the the Hittites who had come to the land to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field. And I give you uh, the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight currents among the merchants. So Ephron's field is in Mechpelah, near Mamre. Both the field and the cave in it and all the trees within the borders of the field were deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites, who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the, in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which, it, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. 
So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. And um, so why would the purchase of the grave be a particular importance uh, to Abraham and to his descendants? I think it's of interest to his descendants, especially because they're returning to the Holy Land. If you remember who wrote Genesis, uh, it's Moses, right? Mm -hmm. Moses is the one who writes it. And he's emphasizing a bit of history here to showcase that the Israelites, even though God is giving the promised land to them, that this is a place of ancestral um, sort of legacy too, Mm -hmm. that Abraham's wife Sarah is buried there. Um, The well of Beersheba, which we just talked about, that was an agreement between Abimelech and Abraham was, was made to say like this is an important place for the for Abraham and his descendants. So uh, Moses, I think here, in addition to kind of showing once again that sort of dynamic of of respectful distance, where Abraham is not okay with just sort of a handshake deal on this. He wants to to you know write the paperwork out and get everything official and you know rubber stamped and and locked in so that that way there's no question about who this land belongs to and who his wife's grave belongs to because he doesn't want to mess around with that stuff. And, and Moses later on is recording all of this, I think, to, to have it available so that the people of Israel, when they're coming back into the Holy Land, feel an attachment to it. That this is not just a piece of, a parcel of land that God just kind of carved out for them. This is like the ancestral home of, of Abraham and his wife Sarah and Isaac, their great, 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 great grandfather. Uh, and, and it kind of, attaches and, yeah and all the descendants that follow yeah. yeah yeah and so but it's it's interesting on the one hand god says i'm going to give you this land and and at the same time uh we find abraham here saying i will pay you for the land yep. um and maybe that's that's the way that god was giving it to him i want mm-hmm. you to know uh you're going to purchase this land and it's going to be yours and your name is going to be on it and mm-hmm. it's going to remain uh in your family for generations yep. and um and so what does that what does that say about the promise of God? Um, God God had promised this land to Abraham. Yep. And um, and this was kind of a way to secure. Um, yes. Now you've purchased it. It's got your name on it mm-hmm. and it's yours. Yeah. And uh, uh, and so, again, we find that that, um, you know, I. I there, there still, I believe, is a sense of that faith that Abraham has in God, even though God said, I'm giving you this land, even though Abraham was paying for it, uh, that that faith was uh, continued to be there. Yeah. Uh, and then um, um, we also find that um, uh, kind of throughout this time, again, God was uh, watching over Abraham. He was taking care of him. He was preserving and protecting him. And um, uh, I, um, uh, let's see, um, um, the, the people that Abraham was working with recognized that there was something special about Abraham. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they, uh, they recognized that and they were willing to, uh, 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 in verse 6 of chapter 23, mm-hmm. he said, listen to us, you are a mighty prince among us. Yeah. So they recognized there was something special about this man. Yeah, I mean, is it just flattery or is there like legitimately an, an important, like the, the scripture talks about how the size of Abraham's flocks and household. And yeah. we and think, the you number know, of servants. Yeah, number of servants. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So like, I think Abraham is, it, all of the sort of quote unquote kingdoms that we imagine in our mind nowadays is not at all what these people are. They don't have like, they don't have like a place where they've castles and moats and yeah. yeah like when we think of sodom and gomorrah right those were places where people settled in and kind of took down root and we saw what the result of that was so a lot of these kind of kings are are more like warlords that are leading around these little nomadic armies and tribes of people that are all centered around the flock where which is their food and their clothing and, and water that they're none of them are just planted they're mm-hmm. all kind of going around and, and Abraham among them, even though he doesn't call himself a king, uh, has a 
a reputation version of this nomadic lifestyle yeah. going on and a, certainly a reputation of of contending and being a part of this sort of nomadic way of life yeah and as as we think about god as our uh, uh protector and preserver um uh, uh we also see that uh, as uh, i guess as Jesus is working in the lives of his disciples in the New Testament, um, he, we recognize him as uh, uh, carrying the role as our, our helper. And, um, and so uh, there's a story in the New Testament uh, about a time when one of Jesus's followers, John, mm -hmm. uh, John the Baptist was in prison and uh, in Matthew chapter 11, and, and um, John sends his disciples to Jesus uh, to say, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Mm -hmm. And how did, how did Jesus respond to uh, the followers of John? What did he tell them to go back and tell John? He says, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see, that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Okay. And so he, he points him back to scripture and these are all the things that God promised that would happen. Mm -hmm. And these are in, a, in fact, the things that are happening. And as a reminder to John, uh, don't give up your faith. God is still in control. Yep. Uh, you are still in the palm of God's hand. He's still preserving and protecting you um, until your work is done. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't long after that, that we see that, that John's life came to an end. Um, uh, but up, up, um, up to the end of his life, God protected him um, uh, until he said, okay, now your work on earth is done. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you sort of see a lot of uh, sort of kindred uh, personality traits, or, uh, similar personality traits or, or character between John and, and Abraham in some sense too. They're nomadic. Um, they aren't afraid to contend with other princes and lords. They have great faith in what God is doing. Um, and so it's like all, I think you could pretty much say those same things of most of those mighty men of faith that we read about in God's scripture. They all have their flaws, but they all also have these chief characteristics of, of, uh, of faith and trust in God. Yeah. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. John was willing to give his own life uh, for the purpose of, of God's work. And in fact, that's what he does. Yeah. Um, and, and both directly through John and indirectly through Abraham, they're pointing towards the promised one to come too. Yeah. yeah. And so um, um, this idea that God... Um, and, and again, through Abraham, when we see him in weakness and in strength, uh, we can time and time again see how God uses all kinds of people, um, some weak and some strong. Um, uh, we think he can use people with flawed character. Uh, we can look at people such as Samson in the book of Judges or Gideon in the book of Judges. There were times where they uh, uh, had great weakness yeah. and yet God used them. Uh, for, for every one of the character flaws we think of as somebody like Abraham or Moses or David, it's like you look at judges and you see some really broken people yeah. that God still uses. I mean, yeah. that was one of the things when we were doing our confirmation curriculum with people where we were doing the Bible overview and going through the Bible. Everyone was just shocked at how debaucherous the generation of the judges was. It's just, it's just falling away from God constantly and God dragging them back in by appointing these just ruthless, wicked, evil servants who they call judges. <laughs> yeah. And uh, God does his will through some pretty sketchy people. <laughs> and, and setting them up to the point where the people ask for a king. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and then the, the wickedness continues. <laughs> and then the wickedness went on. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but we see, also see some of the shortcomings in, in the disciples that Jesus called. Uh, we think of Peter who denied Christ mm -hmm. um, um, and uh, Thomas who doubted. Um, those, those same flaws are some of the same flaws that we struggle with today. Yeah. And, um, and yet God 
chose to use people such as that, such as us, mm -hmm. uh, to carry on his work um, and to carry out his purpose. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways these guys are sort of a microcosm of what the people of Israel in general are, right? They're, mm -hmm. I mean, Israel itself means the ones who wrestle with God, right? And so uh, that's certainly a good depiction of these people. They, they come back to God. They go away from God. They challenge God. They obey God. And that, that sort of identity that we see in the Bible characters and in the people of Israel as a whole has been passed on to us, his covenant people, through the blood of the covenant of Jesus, right? Which we are now, the children of Israel, I say in, in quotes, right? That we are the covenant people of God. And that's that same trend of, of sort of bullheaded uh, wrestling with God and challenging his designs and his will is still seen in the church today and will be seen in humanity until the, the end of time. of time yeah yeah and uh, and so god doesn't always choose the strongest he doesn't always choose the bravest he doesn't always choose the people that we think have great faith um, he chooses ordinary people and yet at the same time accomplishes extraordinary things yeah. through them and uh, um, yeah that he doesn't always choose the, the strong, sometimes he chooses the weak. Yep. And so as we, as we think about these things, um, uh, think about, we'd like to, I guess, give a personal application and, and ask people to think about what are the tasks that God has given for you to do and um, uh, the strength to do them and um, uh, what is your situation in life that, uh, where God is calling you to, to serve him and to follow him. Yeah, and I think all of this ties into faith, too, and, and our trusting in God. So when you think about this question, think about the times where you've kind of been racked with doubt about your calling that God has for you. I think a lot of times one of the things we, as people of God, lack the most is the ability to kind of dream big, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's because we, we doubt that, that God can do these things in our life if we trust in Him. I'm not saying it's the easy button that no. we just say our prayers and we get everything we want in, out of life, but certainly we can look at our lives and see places and areas where we can put our trust in God more and uh, see His leading and His calling more as we uh, begin to understand His Word more being in it um, yeah. and hear, hear what He has to say to us. Yeah. Um. I think you, you mentioned dream big, and so sometimes God calls us to dream big, and He He gives those dreams to us. and And there's a there was a song that was written a number of years ago that was called Dream Small, mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes He just wants us to do the simple things, yeah. um, uh, to care for our spouse, to care for our children, to care for our neighbor, um, and in in doing those things, we also fulfill His will, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and so. Uh, again, we want people to think of where has God called you to be and to serve? Uh, what gifts has God given you to, uh, to use? And how can you use those gifts today uh, to serve and care for the people around you? Yeah, put him to the test uh, in terms of his faithfulness to you, and you'll be amazed at how he comes through. Absolutely. He always does. It may not be in the way you anticipate, but it's in the way that's according to his yeah. desires and he always does so much more than we could ever ask or dream of mm -hmm. so so that that brings us to the to the end of this section so as we close this day uh, let's close in prayer if you'd bow your heads with me father in heaven we thank you for uh, the faith that you've given to abraham and the faith that you've given to us as well uh, there are times where we look at Abraham and he seems to fumble and bumble through things in life. And yet the reality is we do that as well. Um, and then there are times where he seems to have great faith and he follows you with great love and obedience. And we recognize that you are uh, working in our lives to do that as well. Uh, Father, as we continue to follow you, uh, we ask that you help us to see again the work that you're doing so that we can join you in all that you do. Uh, we thank you for the faith that you've given us and the opportunities to be your people and to remember who we are as your servants. And so guide us in everything that we do uh, so that we might give glory and honor to you and that others might come to know you, uh, the love that you have for them, uh, the love that is most clearly seen in the gift of your son uh, when he became a sacrifice for us. Uh, when he died in our place so that our sins would be washed away. Uh, we thank you for that gift 
And we ask, Lord, that you would use it to strengthen our faith in all that we say and do. And we pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 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 Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day in the Lord and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can catch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.